Copycat, let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. The following podcast contains explicit language. If Putin likes Donald Trump, I consider that an asset, not a liability. We could make deals in Russia very easily if we wanted to. I just don't want to because I think that would be a conflict. I have a no conflict of interest provision as president. As far as BuzzFeed, which is a failing pile of garbage. Hello and welcome to TrumpCast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. On TrumpCast, we cover the man who, unlike history, repeats himself first as farce and then as tragedy. Apologies to Karl Marx. Actually, no apologies to Karl Marx, because today, speaking of authoritarian press conferences, we're using another Marxist conceit. Reporters of the world unite in international solidarity. It's Alexei Kovalov, an independent Russian reporter who's asking for this solidarity. Kovalov, who blogs about propaganda and fake news from Moscow, has witnessed what he says is the grim spectacle of the annual press conferences by Vladimir Vladimirovich. That's, of course, Vladimir Putin, who insists reporters call him by his fanciest name, like Donald on The Apprentice insisting on being called Mr. Trump. At these press conferences, Kovalev says, reporters are checkmated at every turn, and it's almost hopeless to try to fight the hypnotism, bullying, and bullshit that rain down on them. Kovalev talked to me about how Putin does it, how Trump does it, somewhat differently, and what the media can do to resist the miserable kabuki of the press conferences and speak truth to Trump. We're going to talk to Alexei in a minute, but first the tweets. Congressman John Lewis should spend more time on fixing and helping his district, which is in horrible shape and falling apart, not to mention crime infested, rather than falsely complaining about election results. All talk, talk, talk. No action or results. Sad. Congressman John Lewis should finally focus on the burning and crime-infested inner cities of the United States. I can use all the help I can get. The Democrats are most angry that so many Obama Democrats voted for me. With all of the jobs I'm bringing back to our nation, that number will only get higher. NBC News is bad, but Saturday Night Live is the worst of NBC. Not funny. Cast is terrible. Always a complete hit job. 
really bad television. At 9pm, CNN, of all places, is doing a special report on my daughter, Ivanka. Considering it's CNN, can't imagine it will be great. The same people who did the phony election polls and were so wrong are now doing approval rating polls. They are rigged, just like before. Today I'm joined by Alexei Kovalov from Moscow. Kovalov is a Russian journalist, and he writes about propaganda, fake news, and Russian state media on noodlerremover.news. Dobre den, Alexei. Many, many thanks for writing this piece. It's called A Message to My Doomed Colleagues in the American Media. So once again, a little ray of sunshine in the press. Thanks also for keeping your blog that chronicles propaganda and fake news at noodlerremover.news. Noodlerremover.news. It's such a good blog. Um, How'd you come up with that name? Uh, It's one of my favorite Russian expressions. It's very colorful. It means uh, okay to to hang noodles on someone's ears in Russian. Uh, it means to lie to deceive someone. So I'm removing those noodles by debunking, uh, you know, misreported news and propaganda. So so much of it in, in Russian media. Another useful phrase for us in the American media. Um, Yeah, you start by saying, congratulations, U.S. media. You've just covered your first press conference of an authoritarian leader with a massive ego and a deep disdain for your trade and everything you hold dear. I want to walk through some of these points, some of the ways that you welcome the American media to the kind of experience that the reporters in Russia have had covering Putin's press conferences. The first thing you say is, welcome to the era of bullshit. What do you mean? Uh, it's something that we've, uh, we've grappled with for uh, almost two decades now in, in Russia. And uh, right now I'm listening to another one of Putin's uh, press conferences. And although it's not exactly fake news, it's just non-information. Yeah. You don't, get, you don't gain, gain anything uh, from hearing it or reading it somewhere. But you just have to report it because uh, it's it's news, but it's 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 crap. It's, uh, and uh, actually, if you if you watch uh, if you watch some uh, the footage from Putin's press conferences, it's really illuminating uh, because you can see how uh, how much of an expert he is at dodging, deflecting, uh, you know, all the questions. How he uh, tactically drowns one question in. Uh, in statistics that you cannot verify, uh, or with false moral equivalences, that sort of thing. Can you give us? Can you give us an example of a say a false moral equivalence? Uh, oh, that's easy. That, that's that's one of his favorites. Uh, <laughs> for example, uh, so they raise a hand and uh, he accepts the question, and it goes on like this. So uh, Vladimir Vladimirovich, uh, he always goes by his name and patronymic. Uh, in a very, in a very respectful way. Mm-hmm. Why do, why does this or this uh, why uh, why do these horrible human rights abuses happen in our country? Can you do something about that? You're the president. Uh, uh, so uh, he has two ways of dealing with some questions. One, uh, he, he'll feign ignorance. 
he'll say, no, I haven't heard anything about that. Although in the, in the next sentence, uh, he'll display very uncanny familiarity with the, with the fate of Edward Snowden or Julian Assange, but not the political prisoners in Russia. Right. So that's one, one, one of his ways of deflecting. The other way, uh, and it's also, uh, uh, it happens every time, and I, I don't know how we end up uh, reporting, re-reporting this uh, every single time. So he'll say something to the effect of, okay, this is indeed a serious issue. Human rights abuses are bad, but every must respect the law. And then he, he finishes with this. Uh, don't human rights abuses, human rights abuses happen in other, other countries as well? Don't you follow the fate of the uh, poor prisoners in Guantanamo? Mm. He will uh, diminish the seriousness of allegations uh, by saying that the, the same kind of allegations happen elsewhere. And, and actually, uh, uh, this, is, this, this is the first thing that uh, really rang about when I uh, was listening to Trump's press conference, is that uh, when he was confronted about the uh, Russian hacking allegations, he said, okay, maybe, yeah. m- maybe Russians did hack us. Uh, but uh, so did China, so, so did everyone else. You see what he did there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, How yeah. does this compare, you know, you talked about non-information, and that brings to mind what we call doublespeak during the Nixon era, you know, the terminate with extreme prejudice, and uh, one of my favorites, an effort has been made to reduce the area of the non-knowledge. I remember that as uh, someone's come back. How does this differ? How does this kind of language and posture differ from Soviet-era doublespeak or here Vietnam-era doublespeak? Uh, okay, so we are now in a, in a really unprecedented situation because uh, both Trump and Putin understand that they, uh, they have direct access to the audience by the social media. Yes. So they, have, they don't really have to rely on press to transmit their words to the masses. Trump can just type something on, 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 his, uh, on his phone. Uh, and because, well, Putin is, is a bit technophobic. He doesn't use a phone, he doesn't use a computer. But uh, he knows perfectly well that the, the second he, he says something, it will be transmitted throughout the world in, in different languages. Well, that I was going to ask about that. So, you know, you say you call us doomed colleagues. I, I know the the headline wasn't your choice, but um, but there is a suggestion that we're we're in something together. But there do seem distinctions between Trump and Putin emerge in your piece too. Putin does seem to be skilled at this particular kind of jujitsu. Um, using, you say, unverifiable statistics, dullness, which sort of probably bores the reporters into a stupor, mm-hmm. figures, percentages, platitudes, um, and straight undiluted bullshit. Um, Trump does some of that, but tell us, tell me what you think. Oh, I, I want to back up also and say Putin will mock you, mock a reporter for, for stuttering, say, if you raise a serious issue. He also uses vagueness, uh, a lack of commitment, misdirection. Some of this sounds a little too sophisticated. I could be wrong. Sophisticated for our dear leader here, who tends to turn up his microphone to 11 and shout down people asking questions. He doesn't do this mock deference that that Putin seems to um, seems to do. He's more pugilistic. Do you think that's right? Uh, well, yeah, they, they they have very different personalities. But uh, it was uh, in mid uh, mid 
2000s, uh, Putin still would lash out at good words. Got it. Uh, asking an uncomfortable question, but he's way too controlled now and restrained for that. Because he learned that uh, you can't really win by lashing out. No, he has a, a thousand different moves in his arsenal to humiliate you publicly and to evade the question. And I think Trump is a, is a fast learner. I mean, mm. uh, the way he um, appeared uh, at, at the news conference after the, uh, you know, the string of tweets before, uh, the previous day, yeah. you would expect him to just ex- explode immediately in front of the microphone. But no, he, was, uh, he commended most of the uh, press corps in the room singled out the two of them uh that was pretty merciful that so. yeah well, and starting with his victories um in keeping factories in the u.s sounded somewhat putin-ish um oh yes oh yes definitely that that's that's straight out of putin's playbook yeah uh yes he would uh, uh if you listen to putin's new conferences he will just uh if a, if a question is asked for example about the uh, poor state of the economy, uh, enormous uh, uh, income gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will he will go on, and because he does his he he, he always does his homework, he will go on in a fifteen minute chit tirade uh, in a very dull monotonous voice. Uh, so 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 is to hypnotize you. Wow! And can he be can he be uh, interrupted? Oh no no no! That's a that, that's a no no. But 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 I want to talk about no nos because in your piece or I, a constant theme of Trumpcast has been how do we win how do we win against this guy how do you how do we win with tactics how do we win legally and how do we win psychologically you cut to the chase and say you're always losing with Putin and maybe we're always losing with Trump you put this very simply this man owns you. You're always playing by his rules. Is is that true? Do we do we do we just give in at least on the press conferences and say there's no way to win? You might say that you're going to go in there. You've got the perfectly crafted cr- question. If you're a, a journalist at a press conference, you have a perfectly crafted question. This is going to finally once and for all pull the pins out of him, and Trump or Putin is going to fall to his knees and say you got me. That's not going to happen. No, that's not going to happen. And, and, and I mean, what's the what, what's the point? I'm seeing American reporters, even in in even in the early days of the campaign, trying to corner him to uh, make uh, him face the inconsistencies in his statement. But to what end? He'll never he, he'll never admit that. Or if, if if he will, he'll say, "Yeah, so what? I said one thing yesterday, and I'm saying a completely different thing today." That's what Putin always does, hmm. and it never works because. If you're trying to make him admit the inconsistencies in, in his statements or outright lies, who am I trying to convince? Him? No, it won't work. Uh, he is, uh, his constituency? No, it won't work. Because uh, uh, if you're trying to persuade people not to uh, vote for Trump or mm-hmm. to support him in, in I don't know, midterms, uh, or how, did it, how does it work in the States? Uh, they love him enough to ignore uh, his... Uh, inconsistencies in, in, in his platform or, or even outright lies. I mean, you, I, I've seen people trying to fact check the entirety of Putin's press conference. Yeah. Now, just, which is about four hours uh, on the average. But uh, you can get maybe uh, 10,000 people with your article where you fact check in Putin's press conference in a country of 140 million people. Mm, right. Um, so one of the things you say that is that was most surprising to me about and this is about the Putin 
press conferences, but might apply also to Trump's. You say don't expect any camaraderie with that with your um, fellows in the press. These people aren't your partners or brothers in arms that, you know, in some ways, the the free marketeering, the rivalry in the press so means... something that I, I, I'm already seeing happening in the United States as well is that uh, there was at, 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 at Putin's last conference in December 2016, there were 1,500 reporters in the world. 1,500. That's amazing. Uh, uh, and it, in the course of four hours, it means that only 60 or 70 of them get to ask the questions. Uh, so you see, this is an artificial scarcity that uh, he, uh, he and his team and his aides are, uh, are creating. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's not an economics because, in the uh, room. Yeah, uh, because you, you want to you want reporters in in the room to confront not you but each other because they have to compete for their artificial scarcity scarcity that you uh, that you created for the room for they they make you sit in this in this room full of uh, hot lights without any water they won't let you bring any water inside. Wow! And you're sitting there for four hours to create artificial discomfort for you to grapple with. Right. So, yeah, you say that not only is the press not working together in Russia, and we saw a little of this in Trump's press conference when BuzzFeed was slagged off um, to make the mainstream media look better or look as though they wouldn't stoop to the tactics of BuzzFeed, when I think a little more camaraderie in the room might have been a more powerful display, at least. But you say that a lot of the a lot of the press in Russia, anyway, turns sycophantic and asks these softball questions. Why? Why? The ones that even the ones that aren't paid or aren't completely in the pocket of the of the Putin government. Um, well, you see, uh, uh, of uh, these fifteen hundred reporters in the room, the majority are represented by tiny regional publications. Right. Who just simply don't cover any foreign policy or the national policy? They're only focused on the local issues. This I don't know if you saw, but Newt Gingrich has um, sort of issued a call that that sounds quite grassroots to our own regional press in the U.S. to show up with their unbiased questions. Um, oh and, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see where this is going. <laughs> okay, so they <laughs> and these some of these regional newspapers, as you point out. They may not be paid by Putin or, or you know, complete um, known sycophants. They actually just really love him and meet his answers with, with you say, applause, enthusiastic applause. Yeah. Just look, look, yeah, look at the footage on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. It, you know, one of the things that is, is is seems kind of shocking about the look of this room with 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 fifteen hundred people in it is that they're all holding placards. It looks more like a rally than it does a yeah, press exactly. conference. And the placards are what to call his attention to them to tr- so they can be in the 60 or 70 elite who actually get questions. Is that oh, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not just enough to raise a hand because there will be thousand ha- literally a thousand hands uh, raising up. Uh, so you'll have to attract his attention to either a specific region that you're from or a specific issue you want to uh, ask a question about, or you just got want to go all the way and impress him with a uh, a massive stuffed toy. 
for example, or, uh, <laughs> or a na national headdress, or something something really shiny to to stand out in the crowd. Um, a massive stuffed toy is is something that's that's free advice you're getting here on Trumpcast. Everyone is a massive stuffed toy <clears throat> might be yeah. the way to Trump's heart yeah. too. Um, have you ever had a question at a press conference? Oh no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, why why would I even? Uh, because that's that's where we're getting to to the practicalities of it. I mean, I, I I keep being asked questions, but what do we do? Yeah. Uh, uh, how do we deal with this? I don't know actually about uh, the presidential press conferences in a, in the United States, but no major policy announcements are ever made at this uh, Putin's uh, pressers. Well, that's uh, okay. So, so I I just don't know why we don't sit it out. Why we don't question the frame of the whole thing? Sit it out and spend those four hours churning out blog posts um, that question the whole frame of this. Now that's, what's, uh, that's what some publications in, in, in Russia choose to do. But there's an economic side to it. Every major newsroom in, in the country in the end of, uh, at the end of December does nothing else for three days straight but cover Putin's press conference. As if, it's, as if it has any significance on, the, on, on, the, on, on your life or anybody else's. Because it's just four hours of small talk without any, uh, any any major policy announcements of any of substance. But if you don't do that, uh, your, your traffic will slump because uh, people uh, will just flock to other websites uh, to read the live blogs and whatever. But uh, as we get into the practicalities of uh, covering a president who is A, openly hostile to the press, and B, doesn't even need the press. You say this, you say Putin hostile to the press, and certainly Trump seems quite hostile to the media too, but neither of them so far, certainly not Putin, seems to be opting to just completely suppress it Soviet style or or create entirely state sponsored press. Oh, yeah, I can I can tell yeah. you why, why why that is in Putin's case. Please. Yes. Uh, uh, because a that's uh, really unsustainable. B, uh, he still himself needs independent press to find out what's going on in the country because he knows he, he knows we can't ah. rely on the state media alone. Uh, and actually, I was uh, I was uh, I uh, at Ria Novosti, the state news agency. I was the editor of a website that translated articles from thirty different uh, languages around the world from wow. uh, from to different world media into Russian, and it was extremely popular with the presidential administration. <laughs> the, my, the website that I edited. Oh, fascinating. Because they yeah, they, because they really wanted to know what's going on in the world. And they knew they, they couldn't trust their, their, their own media. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, and the third uh, reason is that uh, he wants to... Uh, Russia, is a, uh, Russia has been called by, by Russian political scientists, Ekaterina Shulman, uh, it's called a hybrid authoritarian regime, uh, which means that it's uh, it's very careful and, and masterful at keeping uh, up the appearances of a, of, of a democracy. It has all the vestiges of a democratic society as elections, and it has nominally free press, which uh, obviously uh, depends on the benevolence of the state at any moment. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but it has all the appearances because so, uh, so Putin needs those uh, few remaining independent outlets uh, to say, you see, we are a democracy mm -hmm. after all, like yeah. you, because we have independent magazines and websites and TV channels. Just one. It, this, <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> this time around. <laughs> The, the hacking of the media 
um, as you point out, you know, we might describe this, these press conferences as as kind of as hacked. You say, you know, if you have a hypnotized room, this manufactured scarcity and so forth, um, that that looks better than putting everyone in handcuffs. That, uh, yeah, is perhaps a more effective tool, especially where the international media is concerned, the optics are concerned, than um, than the old school authoritarian techniques. Um, that makes sense to me. I want to ask you one more question. I know you've got a sore throat. Um, you use Medium.com. And for people who don't know, Medium is a publishing platform that that allows anyone, everyone to publish. And uh, there are, are no ethical or, or fact-based guidelines. There's a little bit of a sort of crowd ethics and best practices that follow Medium. But in some ways, and obviously you won't get your story uh, upvoted and, and, um, and liked and tweeted if it's simply fake news. But this platform, I think, is a st- extraordinarily effective for um, communication. Why did you choose? Why do you choose Medium? Um, it was really, uh, you know, writing this thing, it was really spurred in the moment. Uh, and I didn't really think long about it. Uh, I just had an idea in my in my head because I right after the, uh, Trump's press conferences, I tweeted, "Welcome to this, uh, w- welcome to this era. Uh, we, we've been doing this for twelve years now, uh, and I just I just wanted to develop this idea. But uh, just let let me uh, uh, because I uh, uh, I'm overwhelmed with, with feedback to this piece, and uh, people keep asking me questions. So what shall we do? How do we deal with it?" Well, for one thing, just let, uh, do we have time for another three minutes? Of course we do. Uh, yeah. So obviously, it, it's it's probably not the place for me to teach the American media how to move forward because it's, it's we who are looking up to you guys, not vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I w- wanted to tell, and this is something that's, um, uh, I think there's two excellent pieces in Politico and Talking Points memo, memo uh, uh, yesterday that I really want to uh, focus my advice on. Uh, You really don't need access to the White House uh, to uh, cover Trump, just like you don't need access to the Kremlin to cover Putin. Yeah. Because access is is also an artificial scarcity. Uh, Don't fight over it. You know, uh, you don't have to be in the DC beat to to cover Trump effectively. Uh, so like uh, so like like Russian journalists too. Like uh, there are excellent investigative uh, media teams in Russia. So uh, focus on individual aspects, for example, of his corruption or, or mismanagement, mm-hmm. and st- uh, ch- pick a beat and stick to it. And that will be far more effective than you know battling him in the in the open, where he he can always outshout you, and just shut you down, and uh, even if you. Uh, keep pointing out uh, his lies and inconsistencies. It, would, it, it, it won't have any effect on his, on his constituency, on his voters, who will uh, vote for him no matter what. What I mean, th- th- this already happened. I mean, this, this should be a, a really uh, in- indicative I and mean, signal. Uh, so, yeah, some solidarity will uh, also help because if you, if, if you, for example, if you get a scoop and uh, and you understand that you're up out of your depth, you can share it with your colleagues. That's, uh, that's a very good point to flag. Yeah. 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 Uh, which is what, I've, uh, what I'm doing all the time. Because uh, if, if I stumble on, 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 onto something that I, I feel that I, I just don't have the resources or experience to uh, investigate, 
I uh, I know that uh, th this the although we are on paper we are rivals in a very competitive market. I know that somebody uh, in a newspaper on a website uh, can cover this much better than I I, I ever will. So I just uh, send it send it to them and see how it goes, and then I can uh, re, re report what they've just uh, investigated. Um, Alexei Kovalev, it's so good to have you here and talking to us from Russia. Thanks very, very much for being here. Thank you. And uh, really, you're not doomed. It's, good. it's all going to be fine. Don't despair. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer at Panoply. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for joining us on Trumpcast. Whatever you do, don't believe what you read about more than 50 Democratic members of Congress that are planning not to attend my inauguration. It's just not true. The fact of the matter is there isn't enough seats the way the stage is configured this year. These Democrats are begging me, absolutely begging me for a ticket to attend the most incredible inauguration in history. And unfortunately, it breaks my heart. It does. It really does that these 50 Democratic members of Congress can't be there.